Hello, hello. Welcome to the show. I'm Joy Dooling, and you are listening to the Joy of Membership podcast. This podcast is for membership leaders. So we talk about strategies for attracting, engaging, and retaining members. But that's not entirely the focus of the show, because let's be honest here, there is no shortage of advice out there on best practices in membership. What we need to talk about is how to actually make those things possible in the real world, how to be absolutely sure that growth practices are going to stick, how to make those things easier, more consistent, and even automatic in some cases. Sound good? Then stick around because we're about to jump into it. Hey there, I see you, membership leader. I see how hard you're working over there. I see how you're doing your best to be helpful to your people and for your organization. And sometimes that feels very, very hard to do. What do members want from us? How can we help in ways that don't burn us out or exceed the resources that we have available? In what ways can we make the biggest difference? In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of people and organizations who asked one simple question, how can we be helpful? I'm your host, Joy Dooling, and my business, The Joy of Membership, is all about giving membership-based organizations the structure and supports you need to deliver your best work to members every single day. I'm here to help you because I know that you are here to help them. Let's do that together. If you've been a listener for very long at all, you've probably noticed that most of the time on this program, my guests are either someone who leads a membership or someone who has a business or consulting practice that supports membership leaders. I love it when I have a chance to talk with someone who actually does both because that's what I did for more than a decade. I was the full-time executive director for a membership-based nonprofit while also sharing my expertise as a consultant with my clients. In this conversation, you're going to meet Holly Rustic, CEO of Grant Writing and Funding. Holly is someone who has extensive experience as a grant writer and grant reviewer. She is an Amazon bestselling author for her book, The Beginner's Guide to Grant Writing, which is actually used as a curriculum in universities across the U.S. And she's also the host of the top-ranked podcast, Grant Writing and Funding. But in addition to all of that, she also runs a membership community for grant writers where she has been very intentional about who she's attracting as a member, and what kind of experience she actually wants to provide. You'll hear how coming to those decisions was not an overnight thing for her. So if you've ever felt like it's been hard to steer your ship into a clear direction, I think you're going to relate to Holly's story. Hey, Holly, welcome to the program. I'm so glad you were able to join us today. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, Joy. This is such an honor. I'm really excited to be on your podcast. Oh, this will be fun. So for folks who are listening in on this conversation today, why don't we start with you telling us who you are and who you help? 
Sure. Okay. So my name, once again, is Holly Rustic. I own Grant Writing and Funding, which is an online company. And I help a lot of freelance grant writers and aspiring freelance grant writers really transition into becoming prosperous freelance grant writers and running a business from the comfort of their own home. So I also work with a lot of nonprofits as well as just growing capacity, increasing funding, and really advancing the mission of their nonprofits. I'm a best-selling author and a podcast host as well, so this is fun. We do a lot, of course, with just advancing the work in grant writing, in funding, and in setting up businesses. Well, I remember when we first connected, I was thinking, oh, Holly would be great to talk to my audience about grants because every now and then the topic does come up. And then when we were talking back and forth about that, it it came up that you've actually been running this community for grant writers and you kind of gone through a process of looking at what you were doing and the member experience and you were thinking about making some changes. So can you tell us about that? Like sure. what yeah. were you doing? So Why'd you decide to change? That sort of thing. Yeah, 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 for sure. So as any entrepreneurs, <laughs> this is a progression of sorts. And I really started with the services. So originally when I opened my company back in 2014, it was writing grants for direct nonprofits. So doing the service work. And I had already been grant writing for about 10 years at that time. So I've been writing grants for over 15 years. So I I knew what to do. But what I found out was I only could take on X amount of clients and had X amount of hours. And I still hit a glass ceiling similar to a J-O-B. So as far as funding and impact and all of that. So I decided to write a book because I also, I'm a fiction writer and I have three other books in the fiction genre. So it was a lot of fun for me to be like, I should write a book. So the book has been able to scale and reach other people all around the world. It's in universities et cetera, on grant writing. And then I was like, ooh, I should start a podcast. And this was a few years ago. And it was like, just share little tidbits. So then that way I can really scale. And part of that is as well as I live on the island of Guam, which is quite far away from everywhere. And we have a limited population here. So I wanted to reach more people, but I had to do it online. I didn't have a big budget to travel everywhere and do these live conferences, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, this is pre-COVID, you guys. So then it just grew. So then it was creating online courses to reach more people. And originally I had that on Udemy, which is a, a course platform. but Once again, the courses are like five, 10 bucks. And I had put invested a lot of time and resources in creating these courses. So I wanted more connection to my community as well. When I saw I had all these moving parts and all these ways of helping people write grants, what I really found is I developed my own company. What people were really coming to me for was not just to learn how to write grants for their nonprofits but to set up their own freelance company. They wanted the freedom. They wanted the impact. They wanted the scalability that I had in my company. So I was like, yes, I've invested hours and hours and hours of learning about things and understanding different things. So I would love to share that with you. So I started developing courses in that realm as well. But just to go back a few paces, after the podcast launched, after I started getting people coming to me, I said, what can I really provide for them? So I had all these little mini courses. I had all these things. So I said, I'm going to do a membership because one of my friends, she's doing a membership and we talked about that. And okay, this is the way to go. So I thought, this is great. I can maintain this community. And honestly, Joy, it was a bet. (laughs) So it was, we used to have this mastermind where every month you had to say one goal that you were going to do. And if you didn't do it, you had to pony up a hundred bucks, right? (laughs) 
was like, okay. So hers was like, Holly, you need to start the membership, start it, do a beta, just launch it, see what people need. And then you can fix it. You can tailor it or hone it or whatever. So I was like, cool. I asked my audience, I said, Hey, is this something you'd be interested in? You'd get access to all my mini courses. We would do a live zoom call once a month, just so you can get access to me and all your direct questions. So it it was really interesting. And they were like, yes. So I was like, cool, I'm going to do a founding members group. And this is how we're going to do it. We're going to have a private Facebook page. So very basic. You get access to my mini courses, live once a month, Zoom community and Facebook group. So we have a private Facebook group. So you have a community. And I did spend time like looking into all the different platforms and how to handle this. And I found what worked for me was very basic, right? I'm using Zoom, I'm using Facebook, and then I opted for Podia, which is an online system to kind of host your courses that they would have access to. So we started there. And what I found, and that's been going on for almost two years, but now you said, what are my changes? And I was like, what? I, Because <laughs> this is always a progression, right? And what I really felt was at the time, it was just open. A lot of people in nonprofits, plus people wanting to start businesses, So my target audience was huge and it was hard for me to really communicate with everybody specifically, right? Because it was like, oh, the nonprofit people need this. The people who are just looking to start a nonprofit need this. The people who are looking to start a business need this. When I'm talking to both of them, I feel like I'm, I'm having to always say both people and this is how you do this and that. So what I've really realized over the last year, especially is I need to revive this and reformat it. So especially in the last quarter of 2020, that was one of my aims because once because I was being so broad, and this is just, hey, I know you guys are membership owners out there looking to be membership owners. Because my target audience was so broad, I was starting to lose them, right? They weren't really showing up. They were Some of them were, yes, you get the handful of fans, but you have some that just kind of fall off. And it was because I know I'm not communicating directly to them. I'm not solving their specific problem because I'm trying to solve too many broad problems. So what I've realized is I love working with people. I mean, I love working with everyone. Don't get me wrong. But the specific group is people who want to be freelance grant writers, people who want to be nonprofit consultants, people who want to, I love working with entrepreneurs, right? So solopreneurs, especially like people want to get scrappy and they want to earn a living and, and they just maybe don't know how to communicate in this space, right? with nonprofits and everything. They still need to advance their grant writing skills, potentially. They still need to get systems in place in their operations. They need to be like, what's going on? So how I really revived it, and I'm launching this in February, which is, um, it'll already be launched by the time this is live. So that, that'll be fun. So maybe we can do a recap, but I'm looking at really touching the people that have gone through my courses. Now, here's the other thing is before my membership was just, it was kind of the entry point because it is like, it's looking at $49 a month. It's an entry point. Maybe they buy my courses after that, right? So I didn't integrate all my big signature courses in my membership, but little mini courses. Now I'm looking at it as as actually an after you take a live course that I have. So I have eight-week live courses on freelance grant writing. So I know I'm going to get fewer people in there, but I know I'm going to get the right people, right? And I know after eight weeks of getting a course, your head is still swimming as you're implementing everything. So I wanted a long-term connection. And that's what I asked them too in the course. So don't feel shy to ask your, your tribe, what do they want? And they said, yes, we love this live Zoom. We love connecting. We love getting our questions answered. We don't feel like we're quite ready in all the different areas, yet we still want that support. So for me, instead of it just being anyone come in and take it. And then I'm trying to communicate and everyone's trying to get to know each other. There's already somewhat of a community built. 
even though I will open it a couple times a year after I do my live courses. So there will be new people, but they'll come in as a tribe, right? And they've already gone through the course. So I don't have to say, oh gosh, you have to buy this course to understand this. I'll just be like, refer back to module two in that course if you want more information on this specific thing, or we can augment things. So for me, that's key. The other thing is now I have more of a a formal strategy on how I'm using it. So yes, I'll still do the live Zoom once a month because people love that. That's really advantageous. But I'm also throwing in like a master course once a quarter. And originally I was like once a month. And then I was like, I don't want to overwhelm people. I think the other thing in memberships, especially the ones I've been in, if you get too much, you almost stop participating because it's overwhelming, right? So I want it to be like, let's just like look at this as quarterly, but like once a month, here's a template, here's a tool, or here is a, a tip, right? Something that's going on as far as a trend. So just making it very basic where there's some kind of formality to it, but it's not overwhelming and to really focus on the community answering questions. What do you need? Connecting with each other. And that's really what people want to stick around and stay for as far as what they're telling me. (laughs) So yes, that's how I'm really restructuring and why. Okay, Hallie, you talk really fast. You jam packed a lot into that. (laughs) That one answer to a question. No, no, that's good. There are, there are several things that as you were speaking, I was thinking, a lot of people in the audience are going to be able to um, relate to. Even though you are speaking more from, you know, an entrepreneur's perspective and creating kind of a, a customer community in your business, associations and trade groups, which the majority of my audience are, you know, people who run associations and trade groups, they deal with some of the same issues. Um, The example that always comes to mind when uh, we're talking about serving a broad audience, like a mix of people, there's one particular association that I remember so clearly came through one of my courses. And she had said, as she was doing the member experience design, it became very clear to her that their photography association had three different types of people who were involved. They had, you know, people who were professional photographers who were, you know, really wanting to grow their photography business. They had people who were amateur photographers who wanted to get better at the craft. And then they had this third bucket of people who were people who just liked the subject matter of photography. I think it was a nature photography association. So they were just people who really liked pictures of nature. And so as she undertook the process of experience design, she really had to filter out these three buckets and look at, okay, do we as an association really want to serve all three buckets? Is there, you know, one bucket that we really want to move forward with? Are we going to let the others go? Or how are we going to really serve these three types of people? Because they found the same thing that you were finding that by trying to provide enough value for all three types of member, they were diluting the power of what they were doing. So that came to mind as you were speaking. And then just the whole process of trying to figure out what's going to match up with what the members really Mm -hmm. want. That's always a process, whether you are, 
new or you've been around for decades, the times change and you really have to go out and talk to your people and figure out what they want and what you can do that's going to match up with that. So you just had so many little golden nuggets wrapped up in that, (laughs) in that really quick talking. So I wanted to make sure we pulled those out. No, it was good. I just had my coffee. (laughs) But yeah, I love what you said, because I think that as if you don't identify that, right, if you don't identify who is your target audience, then you're going to end up in all these situations later where you're like, why isn't this working? I put all this time and energy into creating all these resources and now it's not working. And you you might not know why, right? When it's a simple foundation. And that's what happened to me in some ways. So for me to go back and to say, okay, what needs to change and not to be afraid to change it and to talk to people. And yeah, sure. Some of the original members, they might not want to stay in that freelance group and that's okay. And to be okay with that, Mm -hmm. but to look at it from an association and membership perspective as well, it really is, how do we provide? provide benefit for these people that sign up for this membership. Because I also participate in a chamber of commerce where we have members as well. And and to really, we always look back on the value of what do they really want? And for them, it's networking, right? Being able to pitch their services and being able to have maybe an affinity sale or affinity products. So it's really a one size doesn't fit all. I'm in the knowledge industry, so it's very different. But some of the associations out there that you work with, I'm sure they are as well. But to really figure out like, it's not just knowledge, because I think a lot of times it's been kind of generic just to say, oh, I'll just give all my courses and my membership. I'll just have all this content available. Most people don't access all that content, even if they pay for it, which is interesting. They really want community. Yeah, they want the access just so they know it's there, but how often do they actually go through it, right? So even if you do, some people do, like if I had a course I already offer in there, well, I might do a watch party for that month and I'm just going to bring that course up so we can all go through it together, even though they always have access to it, just to kind of lead them through the group process of accountability, community, networking, and then learning. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I I really like that watch party approach. That's creative. The other thing that I think was really smart about what you did in terms of reframing your membership experience is that it sounds like you gave intentional thought to where the membership was going to fit in the customer journey. Because as you said, like originally it was a starting point. It was a low price starting point for their membership journey. And by positioning it after people had already had this signature course experience, number one, I'll bet it was easier to sell on the back end of this positive experience. And number two, like you said earlier, you got a different type of person coming into Mm -hmm. there. And I think that is probably going to make for a richer experience because one of the things that really annoys people in membership communities is when a community just becomes completely overrun by all of the new person questions and there isn't a path to leadership or longevity for the people who have been involved for a while. So it can start feeling to the old timers that there's nothing really new for them to gain because everything is geared more toward the newbies coming in and asking all the questions. Does that make sense? 
Absolutely. And that's what I kind of found. It was like, some people were like, oh my gosh, my, the, the members were kind of, yeah, getting overwhelmed with the new people coming in and being like, oh, that wasn't this. And, and that just even the new people to be like, oh, is this how this Zoom works? Like they didn't know, but that's already embedded in my live courses. So they understand the process, right? So it's, it's an interesting thing. And I had to really think about it and, and looking at it saying, okay, revenue might not be coming in because I'm not launching this right away, but I'm going to sit back until it feels right until I get the pieces worked out and it's taken me longer than I thought it would, but I had to really process it. And I had to understand, does it go before? Is it an upsell? Is it at the end? Is it a long-term sustainability? Right now I feel really good about it. So I'm ready. And I think that's really important to anyone is not just to push through because people have been asking me for it. It's not like there's not a demand, like they want it, but I had to be like, no, I really need to make sure. And people's members out there, they will be wanting certain things And just to really see what feels right in our guts and what aligns with our mission and our vision and our purpose for our organization. So that's what I've done too, is I've gone back to the values of my company, the value and looking at my mission and vision statement to see, does this align? And it completely does in in a better way than it did before. So yeah, I'm really excited about it. I love that. I can't wait to circle back and hear how things have gone after your launch. I will definitely have to do a check-in with you. If people want to learn more about your membership for grant writers or about anything else that you offer in your business, where should they connect with you? Sure. It's just grantwritingandfunding.com. So that's G-R-A-N-T-W-R-I-T-I-N-G-A-N-D. So spell the word and F-U-N-D-I-N-G.com. And um, they can also look at Holly Rustic uh, Grants and they can find me, but definitely go to my website. I have podcast resources. I have a bunch of uh, free resources as well. I have my courses on there. So if they want any more information, they can find those. And considering you have a community full of grant writers. If an organization is looking for a grant writer, you're probably a good person to know. Absolutely. Yeah. So as I work with my students and my members, we really start uh, saying, okay, who writes these types of grants? Some of the grant writers, they hate writing federal grants and they thrive on foundations and vice versa. Or some of them are doing grant reviews or they're doing like marketing and social media for different nonprofits. They come in and with diversified services. And that's something I really push. So they link with each other or I've referred lots of my students out to different nonprofits as well. Yeah. So it's definitely a great resource platform. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So we'll make sure that um, your website gets in the show notes and we'll connect again in the future and um, hear how things are going. Thanks so much, Holly. Appreciate you being here. Thank you, Joy. Joy here, back with a few thoughts about this week's episode. I'm sure you've heard the old adage, it's not about you. It's about the member, haven't you? Or perhaps you might hear it as, it's not about you, it's about the mission or the greater purpose. On the surface, these things sound like they ought to be true. And certainly I am one to advocate for being sure that you are intentionally providing an experience that is meaningful for your members. Yet it is also important that the programs and benefits that you're offering to members do fit your style of leadership 
leadership, the team of volunteers or staff who run things, and the resources that you actually have available to you. Trying to deliver anything that falls out of alignment with those things is going to feel harder than it needs to be. You're going to burn people out. You're going to have members who are frustrated and confused by the disconnect between what was promised and your ability to deliver. And ultimately, the member experience that you wanted to provide won't be able to happen. This is not good for you, and it's not good for the member. I believe that it is possible to achieve both. You can intentionally design an experience that works beautifully for your members while still staying well within the bounds of what works for you and your team. Now, your organization's preferences and resource capabilities can be woven into where you look for members, how you look for members, what type of members you try to attract, the price point that you choose for your membership, what a sales conversation looks like, what benefits you offer, how you engage with members after they join what the long-term relationship with members looks like, and probably many, many, many other decision points along the way. These aren't decisions to be made only with the member in mind. Your choices have to work for you too. And that is what is involved in intentional member experience design. If this is a topic that is of interest to you, or if you are feeling any pain (laughs) in the misalignment between what you think you need to be delivering to members, and what you're actually capable of delivering, please reach out. Let's connect. Let's talk about what's going on. And I'm sure there's a solution that can make the member experience be exactly what your members will love while also being completely doable for you to deliver. That's all for this week. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Holly Rustic. I will see you back here next week. And in the meantime, take care. Hey there, you made it all the way to the end. Bravo to you. I'm back in just one last time to remind you that there's a free one-page PDF available over at the website that shows you more than 20 ways that technology could be supporting your efforts to attract, engage, and retain more members. It's actually broken down into the stages of the member journey, so you'll know exactly where each piece fits. And everything that's on that one pager can actually be automatically done for you with software that costs less than $1,000 per year. So If you haven't already grabbed it, you can get your copy at joyofmembership.com slash tech, joyofmembership.com slash tech, T-E-C-H. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.